I guess when I say industry, I think I'm, I mean, not I think I mean, I know I mean anything that's not a university. So it could be a not-for-profit, it could be a community organization, it could be a small business, a big business. It doesn't necessarily need to be industry in the way that we might have thought it historically it doesn't necessarily have to be a manufacturing organization it could be a creative one it could be a service oriented one as well they don't have to make something they could be doing something uh i think the main reason why academics want to work with industry is to make a difference and certainly the posts around on social media that i put out around this uh focus on that idea and i think in australia anyway there's an increased push to work with industry um, by government. Um, our excellence in research for Australia exercise, our kind of quality assurance exercise is now including impact. And the UK has been doing that for several um, iterations of their exercise assessment. Does Canada have a, a, a quality assurance exercise, David? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I really can't, I've been away for a bit and I've just right. come back to, to Canada. Um, they have the, they don't have it in the way that the UK and Australia has. Yeah. And certainly yeah. I, in speaking with US academics that are in this quality assurance space, they've often mentioned that they feel like the competition and the size of the US market for want of a better word is big enough that the market itself drives quality rather than the government needing to play a role in assessing and managing quality so that's been their argument against a similar exercise happening in the u.s and certainly things like yeah. um international rankings focus on industry engagement as well not massively obviously but um there is there are components of industry engagement in those um, ranking schemes so that's worth knowing. Um, obviously, in Australia, we've got the National Innovation and Science Agenda, which is about connecting with industry and connecting universities to industry. Uh, and across the world, there are increasing schemes that support industry university engagement. And certainly, as budgets get tighter, which I don't, I've never really seen a budget get looser, but as budgets get tighter, um, more and more emphasis in, is placed on bang for buck. And I think showing that an industry um, entity has picked up your research or worked with you is a fantastic way to demonstrate that the dollar spent on you is returned back to the economy, which ultimately is what the government is after when they're funding research. They want to see the money that they're providing going back into economic growth in some way. In Australia, we've got two major grant schemes, the ARC and the NHMRC, and they have various success rates. On the left, you can see 15 to 20% in the ARC with non-industry partners. Mm -hmm. um, success rates are actually probably a bit lower than that now, lower than 15 to 20%. They're probably more like 10 to 15% now. And depending on how you calculate that, it could be as even less again because some of those success rates are actually calculated after um, grants that are not for further consideration have actually been removed for them from the pool. So grant rates could be as little as five or 7%, which is, I guess some researchers have referred to it as the lottery, uh, but industry grants are a bit more successful. So industry grants have hovered somewhere between 40 and 50%. Again, they've also dropped as well, but what's happened in relation to those industry grants is that application rates have dropped and um, 
the, there's been a change in the way that some of those have been assessed in Australia. And so I think what's happened is people have reduced the quality of the grant that they're submitting rather than it being more difficult because the total numbers of applicants has actually dropped. Mm. Um, again, now this is very Australia centric, but we've got a review of businesses and they self-reported being innovation active 50%. So from my perspective, innovation can happen with university or without university. And I guess it, it doesn't really matter to me whether you do or don't innovate. If you are innovating, you could use a university or an academic to help you innovate more effectively. If you aren't innovating, a university or an academic could help you become more innovative or innovate certain parts of your business. So I'd, I'd be using that as a pitch. Um, most industries are happy collaborating with university and 89% in a survey that was done a couple of years ago in Australia reported that they felt the collaboration was a success. So uh, that's good news, obviously. Um, and even only, although only 89% said it was successful, i.e. 11% said it was unsuccessful or by default, 96% um, said they would collaborate again. So there's a certainly proportion of organizations that felt the collaboration wasn't a success, however they defined it, but nonetheless, they would still work with a university again. However, most industry industries don't have some kind of partnership or collaboration with the university and 97% of respondents to this survey said, and this is a government survey said that they would not um, get any of their innovation from a university. And most industries are sourcing their innovation from um, inside the company. And I guess to your point, David, that idea of creativity is probably one of the sources. Um, it's 27% are sourcing it from websites, journals, research papers, et cetera, but very few are actually going to university. So they might get their innovation from a research paper or an article that a researcher has written, but they won't actually go and ask for the collaboration. And um, I didn't write this in here, but... Um, the majority of industries also said they prefer to work with a competitor before they would like to work with a, with a university. So even though these numbers of satisfaction and re-collaboration are good, the overall numbers of university industry engagement are very low. Some of the barriers are around IP, contracts, different timescales, different um, ideas about what is a good collaboration. Uh, and certainly from a university side of things, IP contracts, et cetera, prevent a lot of collaboration from happening. These things are all changing, particularly in Australia from an academic perspective. And I think as more and more people work with industry, um, industry is understanding how universities work. So they are coming into the middle ground as well. The things that facilitate collaboration are trust, shared vision and values, as well as a mutual understanding. So if you're supervising PhD students, for example, and we all know that PhD students don't have a big career prospect in academia, sending them out into the big wide world of industry will help develop personal trust. If you've had a good relationship with your student or with your supervisor, hopefully you trust them. Hopefully you've got shared vision and values. Um, and thus you could have a project that would then ultimately lead to a, a good outcome and having mutual understanding, etc. Um, one of the things that I think it's important to remember for industry engagement or working within any industry partner is that it's a lot like marriage. Most people don't meet and then get married on their first date. And I think the same should be expected from an industry partner. You need to work at it over time. Um, 
and that we also need to realize that some industry engagement activities might fail despite our best efforts and some are successful despite not looking like they might be successful on the surface. So there's some of the things that I think are important for engaging with industry. I'm sure there are lots more reasons why people do as well. Obviously, I think a lot of people are interested in working with industry from a funding perspective. Does anyone have any questions or comments on that? Not at this point, though I'd say here in Canada, certainly what I'm seeing here in Vancouver is the okay. universities are often leading. Um, I, I think many of the partnerships. Yes. Fraser has a huge incubator set up. Um, I know, I'm pretty sure UBC does as well. Yes. And um, we've got a, the MyTax scheme here, which um, the government's been running for about 20 years. And this is really setting up the partnerships between universities and industry. Yeah. Um, has a pretty good track record. Yes. And so in Australia, it's a similar thing. Universities are, leading or trying to develop these partnerships industry doesn't really know what's available i think is probably the best way to describe it because of the way i think the way some of the projects skills etc are explained to them i think at this point universities and academics aren't doing a great job of explaining their expertise in accessible ways and and in accessible places and i'll i'll go into a little bit of that in terms of getting partners in a second So um, for me, getting industry partners needs to start with what I can offer a partner. And I think a lot of times researchers think primarily about the stuff that they know or the stuff that they research, um, which might be considered the dot on a dot of the head of the pin. Whereas I think there's, there's lots of things that you can partner with industry with. So there's your, obviously your product, if you're developing a product you could help research uh, industry understand their policies or their procedures or their processes you could improve business efficiency you could license etc something that you've developed or something that you're developing and that doesn't have to be a widget it could be a process as well um, and the other thing that I think is worth considering when you work with industry is that sometimes you want to impact the entire system so uh, the, the clients that I've worked with the example for that is the um, Department of Education. So they want to impact all public schools, for example. And what they've found is that they don't get a good, good traction with the government department. And so when they go school to school, they actually have a much better um, success rate in engaging with those schools. So although the impact might be smaller, i.e. you're only impacting one school at a time, you could potentially affect the entire industry by bringing the grassroots along rather than a top-down approach. In terms of how to understand what it is that you could offer, I like to think of three domains. So your research skills, your education or your teaching skills, and then potentially how you might package some of that all together and or can call that consulting. So in terms of identifying industry partners, for me, the first step is making a list. And that could be a list that you write down in a spreadsheet, or it could be a bit like this where you do a bit of a mind map and so in the center of that, you'd put research and then you'd write down all the things that you're able to do as a researcher. So you could put in qualitative research, you could put in quantitative research, you could put in patient or cohort recruitment, you could put particular types of data analysis in there, you could put the types of you know, indoor techniques, outdoor techniques, um, working with live animals, working with people. And you, the more specific you can get, the better this process will be. And this list will end up being 
potentially quite a long list, but the whole idea is to document all the different things that you could do as a researcher for a potential partner, all the research skills you have. Um, I'd avoid things like writing um, as a listing as a skill here, but I would put down the, like I said, quantitative research. Um, I've seen people work with pharmaceutical companies around biochemical research techniques. So stuff that you would do in a wet lab could definitely be put in here. Stuff that you would do in a dry lab could be put in here. Operating a key piece of research equipment could be put into this list. So that's the research techniques that you have that you know that you have access to there. That's the first list. The second list is how you might be able to convey information to someone. So industry is not just interested in you doing stuff for them. They're interested in doing stuff with you or perhaps even to them. So you might educate them. So you won't go in there and necessarily do their analysis, but you could teach them an analysis technique. Uh, one of the biggest things I think we miss out as academics is that we know a lot um, and we've, we continue to use the information that we are gathering as that we gathered as undergraduates. Whereas once you graduate and you go out into industry, you're only using a very small set of the information that you probably learned at university or in your education. And so reteaching some of that, or certainly it might feel like reteaching some of that information back to industry is quite useful for them. And I've seen examples of that um, in the um, allied health area in Australia mm, where yeah. uh, social workers are going back and teaching other social workers. Oh, go on, David. Yeah, I was going to say, but this is probably a lot more of where I'm um, positioning myself as being able to take the knowledge, the stuff I've been teaching and being able yeah. to take that out into organizations. Yeah, exactly right. And a lot of what you're teaching students is what you're going to teach workers, I presume. Yeah, yeah. Um, Indeed. Then there are things you could teach them about a procedure that you undertake, or you could actually teach them the process of research. I frozen up. Sorry. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I was going to say you froze up there. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, and so I've I've taught people um, research. So I've worked with organisations to help them establish research committees and teach them what the basis of having a good research program would be. So that is relying on my training as a first as a student, then as a PhD, uh, first as an undergrad, then as a PhD student on what good research looks like. So there's lots of ways that you can teach others based on your skills as a researcher, not just teaching them your, um, your latest finding, for example. And then the final thing is to think about how you might package some of this up into a whole program. So you could do a quality improvement program for an organization. So, and these I think are a really good and a really good way of working with an organization and it delivers on what they might be interested in. So if you look at, for example, a service or a system that you know a lot about that, 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 um, company or organization is using you would look at how it's currently working for them and you would propose back to them what might be a different way of doing it that would potentially reduce the time it takes or reduce the cost it takes to achieve their end outcome and then in that report that you provide to them you might recommend that they do certain things and some of those things could include you going and training their staff on how to do something different 
you could compare what they do to best practice and make a similar kind of recommendation. You could help them implement the process. So you might do the education piece, the training piece. Here's how to do, uh, in my case, it might be SDS page or if I was a researcher. Um, and so you might go in and work with them and actually train them in in a training setting how to do SDS page. And then you might show them how that might actually work in their lab, in their, um, in their setting. Uh, you could develop analysis workflows. How do they take their data and move it from an image into a, into a figure or something like that. So I think thinking about a more holistic approach to the way you work with industry is worth doing as well. And certainly um, these processes tend to be quite iterative. So you do the analysis, you do your own assessment, then you do your report with recommendations, then you might do a little bit of the training and they might get other people to do training as well. And then you'll have to go back and reassess the impact of that um, change on the organization. And so you can go through these loops. And as, as a researcher, you're probably interested in the data. So from that perspective, collecting and keeping that data um, can help you then write papers that are perhaps related to, but might even not be related to your industry partner. They might be related to something else, but nonetheless, the data helps you as a researcher, not just your industry partner. And obviously in all of this, I'd like to think that there is a fee um, being exchanged as well, or certainly value being exchanged. And that doesn't always have to be in dollars and cents, but it probably includes dollars and cents as well as publications and promotion. So like I said, the first step is to make these lists, three lists, one's about research, one's about education, one's about um, consulting. The next thing is to work out who might care about all of those things. And this is where it could get quite a lengthy process. Um, in terms of finding industry partners, but ultimately if you don't have any, it would, no matter what, it's going to be lengthy. So with those three lists that you've got, you might rank or sort them into things like what you think people are most likely to be interested in or what you think people are going to be more likely to pay for or want to have from you. Or you might even put the things at the top of the list of the things that you're most interested in doing for others or the things that you think are the most important problems to solve for you or others. But ultimately you'll need to have a search term that you can use to search whatever database you think would contain your industry partners. So those could be social media. I've got a few social media channels up there. Social media is a really good place to search because people will talk about their problems quite openly. And so if your, um, if your search term includes some solutions, you could have a look and see what problems people are talking about and you could perhaps solve their problem quite quickly, like perhaps with a, a tweet um, or a link to an article. And that would potentially defeat the purpose of getting an industry partnership if all you wanted was money. But if you're looking for impact, that could be quite quick and quite immediate. Uh, you could also look up things in Australia. There are these things called industry growth centers, which are designed or intended to connect industry to university. So you might look, you know, have your search terms in mind and have a look through the growth centers that are relevant to you. There are seven across um, all of the various industries and sectors that Australia deems important. Um, Nikisa, uh, I think there's one specific to health and medical. So if you're interested in this, have a look at who the members are of that industry growth center. And you might even be able to talk directly to some of the staff at the industry growth center who will then tell you about some of the partners that they have. Uh, searching places like YouTube and Google, obviously that will help you find people. Nikisa, have you got a question or a comment? Uh, yeah, so on there now, it's so 
I, I did something to the screen so I can actually read it. But the sure. government um, site that you're talking about, yep. so within that, it's got medical uh, sector. Yeah, so if you Google, yeah, if you Google industry growth centers, you'll, right. get, you'll get a list and then there's a few there. One of them is health and medical. Right. Okay. Thanks for that. No problem. Uh, and the other place to look for partners and is what in Australia are called cooperative research centers. And I think there are equivalent kinds of centers in North America as well, David, and I'm sure you've come across them. Where industry and university work together to solve problems that are useful to be solved for multiple industries in a particular sector. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, un and typically universities, are the ones that take the leadership in creating those. Yes, and in, um, in Australia, it can be similar, except they're meant to be led by industry, but universities tend to lead them because they're most interested in the funding, if that yeah. makes sense. Uh, they are good places to start because you know that those organisations have already had experience working with universities and academics. And so you could expect them to be more open than an, and more understanding than an industry or an organization that has not yet worked with a university. So the process, the idea in this step is to identify potential um, organizations that you might work with. And I would say, don't rule out any that are, um, unless you particularly feel like you don't want to work with them. Like for example, if you you're against gambling or you don't like smoking or you don't like alcohol, then you might decide you don't want to work with those organizations. Uh, but other than that, I can't see, like I said, I wouldn't rule an organization out because they are too small or because they are too big. At this point, again, these lists are about places to start engaging with industry, um, either on a small scale, like I said, if they pose a problem, answering it straight away because you can, or if they've got a problem that needs more um, fine tuning, then you might approach them and say, I think the answer is A, but you know, how do you feel about having a coffee or a or a Zoom meeting or a phone meeting, depending on who or where they are. So now you've started to look at where some of these organizations might be and where some of their problems that you could potentially solve with your expertise might be located. It's also worth just checking a few things off and knowing where people publish what they know and what their problems are. So if you have a look at the right-hand side, Industry, from my experience, are happy to publish some stuff on LinkedIn and Instagram, whereas on a, for a university, we tend to focus publishing all of our expertise on websites and to a less extent blogs and LinkedIn or other social media. So as a researcher, if you want to publish your expertise or the ability to work with industry, then you need to publish it in places where you'll be found by industry. Um, you also need to publish in formats that are accessible by industry. So as a researcher, Nikisa, I don't know whether you just publish journal articles and they're, if they're behind paywalls, but if you want industry to access your expertise, you've got to start to get, even if it's just a lay summary, out from behind a paywall. Um, did you right. have a question, Nikisa? But what's, um, what, what's the best place to publish these? So, if, so I wouldn't publish a list of my expertise, but let's say you've written a paper on um, your area of expertise. You said you were, where were you at again? Um, I'm an honorary postdoc at um, Hudson, but I'm a yep. teaching staff at Monash. Yeah. Um, so so let's, say, yep. let's say you publish a paper relating to um, 
uh, early childhood development or something like that. That's the focus of the Hudson roughly. Um, yeah, I, I actually discovered a, a couple of things yes. um, throughout my PhD because I um, graduated only a year ago. Yes. Um, so those discoveries, how can I, like two of them have, uh, they have been published Yes. And two, we are about to submit them to journals. But and one of them that they were, it's published, I put it on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, and I got a lot of views. Like um, to me, a thousand is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes. um, views or likes? Well, I, I had maybe ten likes. So, but a lot of those people are not science. Um, they don't have science background. So yeah. I'm just thinking maybe they didn't understand. No, no. Well, it, without solving your, to solve your specific problem, if let's say 10 people liked it, you know, look at those likes and how many of those people do you know well versus you're connected with them on LinkedIn. And I would reach out to all of them and say, you know, a personal oh. message. Thanks okay. for liking my post. Do you want some more information? And so I have not seen I don't immediately know your the post that you're talking about, but certainly the way I would do it and the way I encourage clients to do it is to have a one paragraph lay summary. So not a copy and paste of the abstract right. but a lay summary that talks about the impact and the value of this work. And then say, if you want more, here's the link. Okay. And then, Thanks for that. then non-science people can read it and see the value of it or people who are not as close to the science. <laughs> Right. Can I suggest maybe um, something else in there as well? Yeah. And that's um, a white paper. Yes. So, you know, doing a white paper, but having that on an industry or website or, you know, a corporate website outside of the journal, it still has the, you know, all the references. Yes. So it's still a rigorous piece of, right, but it's really written more for the industrial or industry commercial market. Um, Yes. Excuse my ignorance, but what's the white paper? Richard, did you hear my yes. question? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I said, uh, excuse my ignorance, but no, no, what's no, no, the okay. white so paper? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a discussion paper. Basically, it, it's like a literature review, but it puts it in the context of industry problems. So, you're, so you'll do a lit review. And so how does, so normally you do a lit review and say, how does my research fit in the context of the previous academic research? Now you're going to do a lit review and say, how does my research fit in the context of what industry might problems industry might be facing? Right. And where do I publish that? You can publish that wherever you like. LinkedIn is a very good place to put that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. And so you could join groups, for example, that discuss the problems that you talk about on LinkedIn has lots of groups. So does Facebook. Um, and then you could discuss these problems or your solutions to these problems as well. So again, and once people start chatting to you and given that we're talking about industry partners, it makes sense to me that you want to connect with people who don't look like scientists because they're probably, they may not be scientists who you're engaging with. Uh, as an example, um, some people that I did some work with at Royal District Nursing Service published their information on LinkedIn and mining companies started reaching out to them because the kinds of keywords that they were using were wow. falls prevention and care at a distance. And if you're a miner, you, as in a, you know, digging stuff out of the ground, falling over can be a problem. And mines generally are well away from large communities. So care at a distance is 
uh, important as well. So mm. they en- ended up being approached by mining companies. And going back to what I said before, you need to work out what companies you're happy to work with and, and for what reasons. And in that case, they decided they didn't want to work with those companies. But nonetheless, how you put yourself out there determines what people um, will come back to you with. And that goes to my next point, which is people are interested in seeing themselves and seeing their own problems in what you post. So if I'm not saying to be anything different than who you are and what you are, but understand that what you put out there will be what you get back. It's a pretty much a direct reflection. So when you talk about who you want to work with, all of that kind of stuff, when those people read, I want to work with scientists or I want to work with researchers if they're in industry, they're not likely to be scientists and they're not likely to be researchers. I know that there are scientific research organizations that aren't academic. You, so you might find it harder to find collaborators because they won't see themselves in your post. So the, the next thing is to understand why does someone care about the work that you're doing? Uh, and this goes a bit to what David suggested, Nikisa, about the white paper. So that is, you know, putting your solution in the context of their problems rather than your problems. And that will mean a lot of first thing empathy. So putting in yourself into the shoes of other people to understand their feelings, their perspectives. Uh, so that for some people, that's really hard to do without talking to industry partners or potential partners. For other people, that's really easy. And some people just choose to ignore this step altogether, which I think is a bit of a fallacy. So if you don't know what the problems of industry are, there's no problem going and asking them for a chat about the issues that they face. And you might find that you've got to talk to lots and lots of industry partners before they have a problem that you can solve. And that's okay. Right. Yep. And if you know, let's say you talk to someone and you work out that actually what they need is someone to help them with creativity. My view would be, you wouldn't say, no, I can't help you. You'll say, Oh, I know this guy, David, he can, um, he'll be happy to work with you on creativity. So you can refer them if you know how to solve their problem by referral. I would do that as well, because this is all about building personal relationships, partnerships. Mm. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And so th- this um, goes back to old, old sales, but I think it's still useful for um, university researchers interacting with industry that um, you need to know what people are doing with your stuff and how they're using it. So for example, although we sell a three inch drill or a, a drill bit to make a hole, the, the what people want is a hole. So if, someone else comes along with a better way to make a hole, they will use that better way. So they're not, they don't care whether they use a drill or the tree that they, you know, the piece of wood comes with a hole automatically in it. They will, they want that hole. So you need to think as a researcher, what am I selling versus what is my client buying? And those things don't always match up. So, Generally speaking, industry is interested in profit, but not always. Um, so you need to be mindful that the cost of research needs to be paid back almost um, literally in, in dollars, if that makes sense. They need to see a real saving. <clears throat> the kinds of impact that they're interested in is about having an impact that leads to a competitive advantage. And again, generally, that's about more and more money, but it could be better positioning. It could be we can treat more patients 
or we can see more people or we can have our product in more people's hands. And ultimately though, it still comes back to more money. Uh, and then again, for industry, they're interested in the best equipment and the best thinkers, but only in order to have more impact, not thinking for thinking's sake, like might be the case in academia. So just be mindful about why people are interested in the collaboration. Um, in terms of this whole process, right? So you've documented your research, you've documented your potential education, what you might do as a, as a piece of consultancy. You've now done some research and you found some potential industry partners that might be interested in you or with you, or you've got some, you know, their problems. The thing that you can't do is stay in your ivory tower or stay hidden behind a, social media wall or stay hidden in your office. You need to get out there and take action and approach these people, approach these entities, ask them for meetings, ask them about their problems. And it needs to be in a way that is authentic to you, but is, but doesn't come across as salesy or pitchy. So for, for me, I would not advocate saying I can solve your problem unless you see them actually state their problem and how can someone please help me solve it. Rather, I would go in there and ask them about their work, how they do their work, what they do, why they do the things that they do. And that will lead you to understand that entity and then the opportunity to talk about their problems and then the opportunity to pitch your solution. But ultimately, my point is this one, that you can't get industry partners without taking action. So you can't stay behind a computer or behind your lab desk and expect industry partners to come to you. Um, and I guess there are passive ways of getting industry partners, but that still is somewhat um, active in that you need to post on social media. You need to talk about what you're good at in order for people to come to you and say, can you help me with the thing that you're good at? Um, but otherwise I think you need to go and find people with problems and, and, and help them with the solution. Um, there are some things that I've got that you can get access to um, and I can, I'm happy to provide access to our LinkedIn program that helps people uh, work on LinkedIn and get industry partners. Uh, in summary, I think there's basically five steps to the whole thing. Know what your offer is, know what you have that you can work with industry on. Identify who the industry parties, interested industry parties might be. Um, and so this, you might be, you might consider this essentially a study into those organizations or people that might be interested in my offer. So, you know, if you're happy to do some research, step two is the place where you might do the research. Um, then step three is understanding their motivation, which should, which might be rolled up into step two as well. And then, like I said, approach them. If you don't approach them, they can't say yes or no. And then finally, from the approaches, you'll get an understanding of whether they're interested or not um, in what context and why, and therefore you can refine your approach and hopefully do a, a better job next time, whatever that better job might be, whether that is to refine, refine what you're doing, who you're doing it with, how you propose it to them. Um, if you talked about price, price, if you talked about duration, duration, etc. So that's everything for today i know that i'm a bit over time if you've got any questions or any issues that you face i'd love to chat about those um otherwise if there's no more questions um 
we can call it a day. Does anyone have any questions? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Yeah, I'm fine too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nikisa. Um, as always, there's another webinar next week. It's about strategic planning and research. Uh, then I'll cover some stuff around Facebook and we'll go back to industry partners in a few weeks from now. Um, if you haven't already, sign up to the blog. I'd love if you did that and you can choose what you're interested in. All of this information is on my events page. And as I said, this content is in my book, Connect the Docs. David, I'll write you and get your address to send one out. Um, if anyone um, else is interested, let yeah, me know. Can I have a copy as well, please? Sure can. I will make sure that that's in the email as well for you too. Thank you. Thanks, Nikisa. Thanks, David. Thanks, everyone.